Failure is almost always something we either prefer not to talk about at all, or maybe are forced to talk about with a mixture of shame and embarrassment on our faces. But that's definitely not the case when it comes to the man we're talking to on this episode of One of the Eight. Ben Mottershead believes that failure is one of the best things that can happen in your life, and it can help define you as a person. He also believes that failure allows you to work through problems, and it's only through failure that we really learn. It's easy to see why Ben thinks this way too. An early career featuring redundancies, unpaid internships, and debilitating mental health issues could be described as failure. But this is where Ben proves his own theory. Receiving therapy for ADHD, Ben has gone on to become an award-winning independent brand designer, as well as a public speaker and a visiting lecturer. Like the man himself says, it's all about finding your water, and we're privileged to share his story with you today. But actually, failure is the thing that everyone should be working towards, because it's only by failing that we learn how to be better people. If we just succeeded all the time, there'd be no lessons in that. I'm Jake Worley, and this is one of the eight, bringing you the real life stories of real world people, the things they have achieved and the things that have inspired them. Hi everyone. Today we have the chance to hear from a man who has faced two redundancies, quitting another job and a constant struggle with ADHD and mental health. But like all of the incredible guests that we feel so lucky to hear from on this show, he's turned his struggles into opportunity. Ben is now an award-winning designer, business owner, university lecturer, and an inspiring speaker. And he's not even 30 yet. So Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. That was a really nice intro. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd like to start by finding out more about your work experience. And later on, we'll get to cover some of the ups and downs you've faced throughout your working life. But could we first start by learning a little bit more about your line of work and some of the companies you've done work with? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, oh, how long have we got? So it'd probably be good to go out to the, we'll, we'll start with the fact that at the moment, I currently run a brand design practice, uh, which specialise in branding, sort of brand systems, brand identities. Um, but originally I started out as most designers as a studio designer and, um, after graduating from the university of the West of England, um, in graphic design, I moved back for Hertfordshire and I got a job in a very small design agency, um, in Hitchin, which did a um, branding work for a lot of hospitality and food brands. Um, while I was there, I kind of, you know, learned the very basics of like design as you would as any junior. But unfortunately, uh, within the first year of being there, roughly about 10 months, I was made redundant um, and then progressed into working within motion design and animation as a, a designer. I will mention that I did have to start back as an intern at that point. So you can imagine my kind of struggles going into that i'd spent i'd previously before my first junior job i'd done a three-month internship which was unpaid i then gone into this junior position for about a year i'd then been made redundant from that and then had to start right back at the bottom again um and i stayed within that company for about i'd say about three three to four years and then um was made redundant again um and at that point (laughs) I intended to go freelance or at least start kind of try and start my own business. And um, I completely bottled it um, uh, almost instantly and went into a, like an instant job hunting mode um, and found another design job in a digital sort of activation web design company um, in London, which um, I was at for again, 
I think at this point about seven to eight months. And then I had like a mental health crisis. Um, wait, wait, I, we'll get into this a bit later, but I went into a really bad headspace and a really sort of negative place and ended up quitting that job. And this was last, the sort of um, early to mid last year. And at that point, I then left and went freelance. And now that progressed into kind of starting up my own practice, um, which I currently run full time. And yeah, so that, that's it. And in, within that space of time, I've worked from, you know, I've worked with everyone from kind of like Nike to Coca-Cola, Jack Daniels, like White Company, a lot of high street retailers. Um, and that was as a studio designer. And now what I tend to focus on a lot more is, I guess you would class them more as startup businesses. They probably have like a capital of maybe 1 million to 2 million or less in terms of you know um, and revenue. Okay. And I more or less focus on community centric brands. So brands that are looking to build communities around their products or offerings. And um, I specialize more in the development of branding, which allows um, systems to be put in place to build communities. Um, one of the clients I work with on a really regular basis is Glug Events, um, who were one of my okay. first main sort of um, clients when I decided to take the leap to start my own practice. So it's been a really, really varied, um, what was it now, six, six, seven years. Um, obviously, we will go into the kind of like the redundancies and stuff, but I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to really say because I like to think that that's a very unusual story. I always have these ideas that people get jobs. They might move between a couple of jobs, but for me, it feels like I've been on a roller coaster, barely being able to hang on for a lot of my career. And it's only in the last kind of year that things have really started to kind of formulate and take shape. And I feel like I've had a lot more control over what's happening in my life. Okay. And when you were working with, you know, some, some of the big yeah. names that you discussed, what were you actually doing with them? So it really varied. Obviously, as, if, if there are any kind of um, people who work from the creative industries listening, they'll know better than anyone the kind of process you go through. So, you know, when you start off as a junior and everyone else was a junior, I was working with people like Tesco and Giraffe and, you know, Costa and all those kind of type of brands. And but as a junior, you're kind of given the grunt work. It's sort of you come in, you sit down, you'll be doing amendments. You might be working on some conceptualization, but that will be mainly alongside uh, more senior designers. And the whole point of the junior is uh, being a junior designer is you're kind of just trying to like get to grips with what industry and professional designers. You've spent maybe three years at uni and sometimes you haven't gone to uni. And the, the difference between the two is, is quite massive like you you spend your entire life in a safe environment not life sorry but it's your entire sort of academic life in a safe environment being able to fail or succeed yeah. in comfort and try things again if they don't work and then when you make that transition to the professional industry you don't really get those chances it's kind of like you might get amendments and you might be able to sort of blag a client a few times if something goes horribly wrong but ultimately you've kind of only got a couple of chances to really make it work so when I was a junior, that's the kind of work I was doing, kind of working more with senior professionals. And then when I was made redundant, I kind of had um, an option to really, to start with, I couldn't find another job. The job market was horrible at that time. I actually tell this really um, funny story when I do give talks um, about the lowest point I've probably ever had in my career was I... Had been made, I'd been redundant for a couple of months at this point, hadn't been able to find another job. I'd had to sign on 
um, I'd come back from my girlfriend's uh, visiting and I'd set off two speed cameras on one on the way there and one on the way back. And it turned out they were, there were, there were faulty cameras. I hadn't actually been speeding, which was thankful, but I didn't know that at the time I came back. I got an argument with my parents. I remember going upstairs and as I was trying to take off my shoes, I just started crying uncontrollably because the weight of it all. And the fact I didn't know how I was going to get through or like, you know, what I was going to do with myself just was overwhelming and I remember thinking, I'm going to have to just, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm going to have to go into a different job. There's, I, I can't, there's no way I'm going to be able to be a designer again. Um, but at that point, I kind of made a decision to myself that this wasn't going to be what I was. And I was going to do whatever it took to become a designer, a professional designer. So I decided to go out there and not just look within graphic design, but look in all the creative industries. And I was lucky enough to be offered a position at a motion design studio, an animation studio, but it was okay. as an intern again. And I um, took it because I didn't know that I hadn't been able to find any other jobs. So I was like, this is some money that's going to be coming in. It was minimum wage, but you know what? It was something, it was better than the unpaid internship I'd done originally. Um, so I went into that and worked for six months on minimum wage as an intern. Um, but the benefit I had this time was I had a lot more experience. And luckily for me, the owners of the company saw that I had more experience and didn't. So you can look at this two ways. On the one hand, I was kind of probably taken advantage of by a company that saw I was much more experienced than an intern, but chose to keep me on as an intern. On the other hand, allow I was given a lot more opportunity to get involved with more client liaising, higher up positions, doing a lot more of the design work, a lot more of the conceptualizing. And within that agency, I worked my way up to the point that I was kind of working alongside one of my directors, going to pit like meetings, doing pitching, working on like, you know, pitch decks, conceptualizing ideas, overseeing a team. Um, and then when I was made redundant from that job, um, I went, I went into another agency and that's where it all kind of went downhill. One of my strong points that I've always said to people is that, and I've kind of noticed going through my career is that I've always managed to kind of turn a job into what I want it to be. So I've always kind of had this multifaceted skill base. And I think because I'm quite good at showing okay. that to companies that I work for, they often eventually kind of get me involved in a very wide array of work within the company itself and don't just kind of shoehorn me into a single like, you know like you're not just gonna I, I was never someone who was just sat on a computer every day doing design work and like moving things around a screen um I was yes. often going being brought to meetings to talk to clients or like present work or you know actually do the pitching itself uh, or oversee junior designers and midweights and um oversee a team and I think that's kind of what this is that's kind of what pushed me eventually to you know quit and actually start my own thing was because I'm never someone that's only ever going to be really just content being a designer I I don't mean that in a bad way it's, it's a brilliant profession to have and I think anyone who is a there are very talented designers out there who um love what they do and I think that's a that's admirable but I think for me as a, a person I'm never really that satisfied just designing. I always wanted to be the businessman and the marketer and the strategist. Um, and because of that, I've always kind of turned any job I've had as a designer to be more than that. So it's when you're talking about responsibilities with these different clients, it's a really hard to kind of pin down just a, as one, one sort of specific thing, because like for Coke, I might have been getting pulled into meetings to discuss ideas and ideation. But then you might take something like, 
the white company and I might I was like doing pitches and I was actually creating pitch decks and having to go into the white company to pitch for new work. But then there was stuff like Jack Daniels where I would just be sat at a computer just doing design work and actually making like um, bar activations or making sort of animations, etc. Um, so it's very, it was okay. a very varied career up to now, but I think that's literally just down because I was always happy to put my hand up in a room and go, I'll get, I'll get on that. I'll jump, I'll happily help with that if needed. So I think based on all of those kind of different aspects that you like to bring to the table, I think probably is part of the reason that you move from working in an agency environment to being self-employed as a freelance designer. But what I'd love to know is, I mean, that's a big, brave, kind of scary step to take. Can you talk a little bit about your mindset going from kind of the security of being employed to then going? Yes, yeah, so I was actually, um, it's, in, it's funny you mentioned sort of that security then, because I think I was quite unlucky but lucky at the same time so for one it is worth mentioning that i obviously living with adhd you're kind of an erratic person anyway and you're kind of used to being very spontaneous and you kind of um i always laugh because you kind of if you have adhd you kind of end up developing a personality which is very likable because you're so scared people are going to leave you at all times because you're like annoying or you're something like that so i knew very I've known for most of my career that I'm someone you can sort of get on with. I'm quite, I'm a personable person and like I'm a very good at kind of making connections and networks because of that. Um, So that side of things that usually puts people off going freelance, this idea of like, oh, where am I going to get money from? Didn't really phase me because I knew I kind of had the personality and the, the, to make networks and actually go and find work. But another thing that happened was I'd spent nine months in this um, design agency and like I said previously to that, I'd, I'd wanted to go freelance and I'd wanted to go and try and start my own thing and I got too scared and I backed away from that. And that actually led me to be very resentful for the major- almost the majority of the time I was in this agency. I kind of really disliked myself for not taking that initial step. And as a result, I, re- I really disliked okay. being in that studio. And alongside that, the, in, the agency culture really went downhill there was a lot of bitching and a lot of like infighting and it really sort of made it a very toxic place to work and i'm quite like you know an emotionally sensitive person on the well i don't really read other people's emotions that well but i don't really like confrontation that much and um it got me into a really right. really really bad headspace and i was just miserable and i didn't i i just remember going like anything would be better than this right now so one day i went in and i think my head of design started having a go at me within the first 10 minutes of being in the room i'd sat down at my desk and only just turned on my computer and i was she was having a go at me for something and all the other staff in the studio were really started like flexing and back in my corner going what there's an issue here but that kind of pushed me over the edge and i remember standing up and turning to the managing director and going i need to have a word and i just quit on the spot um and I think I was lucky in that sense that I'd mentally been pushed so far to the point where I saw any way out as being better than what I was having to deal with at the time that I didn't really think about the what-ifs. I had almost no savings. I had nothing lined up in terms of work. But because I was in such a bad headspace, that was probably that was actually a good thing because I didn't overthink it. I didn't go, oh, but what if you can't get work? What if you can't do this, I hadn't even told my girlfriend I was going to do it. I just rang her up right after and went off, oh, quit. Um, I think it's just, but that's wow. what I mean when I say it's like, it, it It wasn't necessarily a positive thing, getting pushed into that men- mental headspace, but at the same time, it did give me this kind of 
you know lack of caring it was just like i'm just gonna do it because i and that if you yes. don't care about it it's really mentally it's actually also at the same time very freeing you don't worry if you if you're not overthinking you can't worry about it so just doing that split second gut reaction of going i'm not this is too much i'm not happy anymore why am i putting myself through this i'm just gonna go actually meant that it, it i just went i just went off and did it basically wow i mean that's incredibly brave um and kind of on that topic you've mentioned now that obviously so our listeners will know you suffer from adhd mm. and if you're happy to do so can you share kind of some of the effects and kind of let the listeners know a little bit about what impact that has on your life both socially and from a work yeah it's an enormous pain in the ass and you get a lot of people out you get a lot of people out <laughs> there with adhd who go on about like how it's a superpower and all this kind of things and you know testament to them for feeling that like it it's a really positive thing within their lives um I feel like I've had to work incredibly hard to make it a positive thing within my life it's a constant inward battle of conversation and noise and an inability to kind of pinpoint your attention onto a specific thing so what for instance one of the big misconception of ADHD is it's about a lack of focus and what it actually is is your an inability to regulate the the distractions that are happening around you so for someone like myself I will be in tune with almost anything and everything that's going on around me and because of that my attention is being pulled in often seven ways at once and that's what makes it so hard to kind of actually like focus so being sat in the middle of an office when you might have phones going off you might have someone behind you talking someone's maybe making a cup of tea I I'm thinking about all of those things all the time I'm constantly having conversations with myself in my head my brain never switches off um I talk probably faster than Hussein Bolt runs um I'm constantly worrying about <laughs> oh am I saying the right thing am I being rude am I over am I talking over someone um so you're constantly having to like almost do a continuous live sensor of what you're doing and it's exhausting and um one of the side effects of ADHD is um you get a thing called ADHD fatigue which is where you basically enter a set, almost like a state, state of depression because you're just so mentally burnt out and um the, but there are good things there are like actually good things of ADHD that I like I said I have managed to turn into a positive the conversational aspect of myself I've excelled within networking capabilities I do a lot of talk, speaking engagements now I go onto podcasts I obviously do lecturing which we'll get into in the in a bit um and all of these I feel have become like almost have happened because of a byproduct of my ability to be very personable I have a lot of empathy for people because of like the stuff I've gone through in my own life and um I'm also just really happy to just chat and just get to know people one of the benefit things I also managed to do with my ADHD is like I've mentioned just previously about being very multifaceted in how I approach work I you know, when you okay. are interested in everything and you don't really have an ability to focus your attention on one specific thing, you kind of, I got to a point in my life where I just embraced that. And I went, you know what? I'm never going to be someone who can just be like a singular logo designer. Or I'm never going to be someone who can just be like um, a 2D animator. It's not who I am. So I made a conscious effort at that point to try and learn about as much as I could with different industries and different areas and and kind of embraced that and made this sort of natural interest and curiosity with these different areas a really key selling point within my portfolio within who I am as a person 
Um, it meant that when I went to network engagements, I could almost talk to anyone and at least be able to pull bits of information out that may, meant I could relate to them. Um, it meant that when I went to studio interviews, I could, yeah. you know, there was always something within my work or like a project or two which would relate to the kind of work they did, whether it was like web design or animation or motion design or branding. Um, there was always something I could do. So it has been a real struggle. Like I was bullied a lot growing up well, for like most of my teenage years because I was seen as quite an odd character and I was an easy target. I was very outspoken. I said things without thinking about it, um, et cetera. And when you do that as a kid, you, you become a target for like people who were just kind of like, you know, everyone's going through puberty. Everyone's kind of got a lot of like emotions. Everyone's trying to like vent and like, you know, try and just let off some steam. So the downside to yeah. was that I was bullied. I've spent my entire life like, not being very sure of myself because I'm always worried that people might leave me or I might not be saying the right thing or I'm not doing the right thing. Um, and on the other side of that, I'm a very personable, talkative, eccentric and, you know, person that's got a lot of energy and has an actual massive love and interest in what other people do. So it's hard. It's, it's hard. And anyone you speak to ADHD will have a different story to tell because it's a spectrum disorder, as far as I know, and everyone deals with it in different ways. Um, but for me, it's probably been one of the high, the biggest highlights in my life and also the, one of the biggest curses. So I read um, one of your blog articles mm. on the Ben Designs website. You discussed your ADHD and in it you talked about the value of the yeah. support network that you've had throughout your life. Yeah. Um, I've got two amazing parents um, who have always been a massive role model to myself. Um, I've got a mum who's one of her like major sayings is why put off tomorrow what you can do today, um, which I've just always lived by. I think why waste time, just get on with it. Um, I've got a dad who's incredibly supportive and has always pushed me to do what I to do something that I love. Um, my brother's also got ADHD. He's also got a number of other disorders. So it was kind of a mad household to grow up in. Um, my my wow. girlfriend's incredible and she's incredibly <laughs> supportive. And like I said, I'm not a, someone who's very good at reading emotion. And um, I can be very difficult to live with at times, but she kind of puts up with me. Um, but what I would say is that I've only sort of managed to develop a very good support network since I've started openly talking about my ADHD. For years, I didn't discuss it. You know, it'd kind of be a sort of thing where I'd be like, oh, I have this thing. It's whatever. Like, you know, if I, if I if you think I'm being annoying, just kind of tell me. But it's what I don't, you know, that was about as far as it went. And it's only really until I started to open up about it, I started to actually properly learn about it myself. And this is something that I'd never really realized is I didn't really know a lot about the disorder. So I took it upon myself to do a lot of reading. And in that, I passed on that knowledge to my friends and my co-workers. Um, I'd worked in a number of places in my career where my, for instance, one of my directors used to always just be like sending me daily emails going, oh, I need like pin pinpoint focus today from you and stuff like that. And the problem with that is it, 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 it's such a kind of cop out thing to say with someone who's got like a, a, a neurological disorder, because I would love to be able to focus. There's yes. nothing more in my life that I would love more, but to say to someone, oh, it's, it's not something I have much control over. So I've had situations with studios like that or I'd have like in one of my last jobs, it was like I was going through a state of fatigue where I was just very down and I didn't really want to really speak to people. And I was just exhausted. And um, my head of design pulled me into a meeting and was like, oh, well, it'd be great if we could just get the old Ben back. And it was like, that's such a 
dick thing to say. Like I, I, it's not like I, yeah. you know, it, it's such a, um, a passing off of a, a really serious issue. So when I went freelance, and I actually, you know, one of the first people I spoke to was when I was working for Glug Events, and I actually went. I've actually talked to the staff there in a very in, in a lot of depth about ADHD and what like the side effects are and. The um, CEO of that company is absolutely incredible and um, actually took it on himself to have a meeting with me so I could talk him through what some of the, you know, the downsides were, what the side effects were. Um, so since I've actually opened up about it and how it affects me on an, as an individual, but how also trying to understand how I affect other people, I've managed to build a much greater support network around me of People who aren't just there to who aren't just there who nod and go, oh, that's all right, don't worry about it. They actually really take it upon themselves to find out if there's things that they can do to help me. And um, my advice to people normally who are struggling with the disorder or another type of disorder is that they just have to kind of own it and accept it's a part of themselves and just try to educate themselves and also be comfortable talking about it to other people because if other people are aware they're a problem it can't really get fixed and it's unfair of you to expect other people to to like be understanding to be compassionate if they're not even aware something's going on in the first place true completely true um on your instagram there's a picture of you and in part of the caption it says i've developed this was from hmm. october 2019 so clearly things have progressed since then but you said at the time I've developed toxic habits, been unable to empathize with people and found it difficult to express myself and my emotions. And when I read that, I thought, so how is it possible for you to be so expressive and so emotive in the work that you produce? So I'm actually just, I'm literally just trying to find the thing you were, um, is it the one of me in the, in the spotted top? Yeah. I went to therapy last year um, for an actually separate um, personal issue, but um, while I was in therapy, I actually spoke a, in, a lot about my ADHD with my therapist, and we worked, we went into like CBT therapy, and we worked through quite a few like coping mechanisms, etc. Um, but before that, I was someone who was incredibly closed off. I always had this mentality, which is it's no one else's problem but my own. Why would I bother someone else with my problems when I'm the one that should be able to fix them? And because of that mentality, it meant that I was kind of always living in a state of toxicity of not, you know, you, you have, I suppose you class it as toxic masculinity, this like inability to kind of be, um, to show emotion, to trust people, etc. And yeah. the work that I've actually got on my Instagram currently is from around the, from the, uh, just after or around the period I was going through therapy. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it, before I did therapy and before I'd actually posted about that um it my work I would say was kind of all over the place it was almost like I, I spoke about this in a talk recently I was almost trying to showcase two different parts of myself I was trying to showcase the work which I felt which I saw as being what other people expected me to produce it was jokey it was funny it was bright it was colorful it was blah 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 but then on the other side of it I was trying to produce work which I thought I liked but also the kind of stuff I thought clients might like which is very minimal and stripped back and clean and all you got from that was this kind of random split personality of insecurity of unsurety of nothing that I was producing to kind of fit together and it just felt very detached and I would say that's a massive 
part that that that's a really big showcase of actually not being emotionally secure with yourself because the people who create often the best work or the people who create the most poignant work the most the work that has the most direction the most power to it are often very sure about what they're trying to do and very sure about the directions and what they're trying to communicate and to do that you have to be emotionally secure like you may have like you know you may be someone who has like doubts you may like hate you may look at someone else's instagram account and go oh my god they're 10 years younger than me and like so much better but you can't create good work unless you have some level of maturity and security within who you are as a person and your emotions um and i think that's basically why the work i create now especially maybe feels like it has more emotion within it or feels like it's a bit richer in that kind of area because since going to therapy and since kind of trying to work through some of my deeper problems i have been a lot more open to who i am as a person i've shared a lot more um and i feel that does come through in what i create wow that's fantastic that's really interesting um I mean, something that I've always been amazed by since we started the podcast is the kind of the bravery and the Mm. willingness of our guests to share their struggles. And, you know, clearly the same goes for you, too. And you've actually taken this, you know, another step further to being a public speaker and sharing your story. And You discuss um, failure, mental health and education. And what are kind of the key takeaways in those three areas um, when you give your thoughts? So for education, I'll start with that because they are quite three separate issues i sometimes do talks on like you know education sometimes i mean failure and mental health type kind of go hand in hand but a lot of my family are teachers and i so i grew up quite heavily within like the education system and being aware of the kind of ins and outs and um when i talk about education and when i go and talk about it, i often talk about education with a side note about accessibility and about often class and this idea that for me going into the industry starting off an unpaid internship they're the most classist things you can a company can expect anyone to do and they're a huge they're a huge problem for me and one of the reasons i feel the creative industries especially have been whitewashed for a large number of years because if you have something like let's say unpaid internships the only people that can afford to do unpaid internships are often middle class university students who are more often than not white and therefore, you create an industry that is just full of the exact same every area of it. And that's a problem because if you're expected to be a designer and someone who can fix problems for different types of people in different types of environments, it would help if on your team you have people from all different walks of life. So if so, you can go from a project like with you know Coca-Cola, for instance, and also then jump to creating branding or activation work for a community youth center in Croydon that might be actually have like more of a Bain community around it and I think it's um the educational stuff I talk about is often from a space of how important I think education is how important accessibility of education is and not just you know system um, systemic education not just like you know high school university etc but like the ability to access educational tools that you can then take on board is really important and it is changing now and you are seeing like the sort of banishment of unpaid internships which i'm really hoping will allow more people from poorer backgrounds to be able to enter the industry and share their voice because unless you have a conversation happening with multiple types of people you're not going to solve anything you're not going to learn how to empathize or actually develop a greater understanding of people's needs so that's kind of what a lot of the talks i do around education are based on when it comes to <clears throat> when it comes to failure and mental okay. health, is I I mean the reason I do talks in the first place and why I love doing them 
is because it's a form of therapy for myself. Um, when you have to spend like a couple of days creating a presentation, okay. you know, yes, it's an hour long presentation um, about, some, like, about, you know, your own mental health or like your own failings or something. All you're doing is working through situations you've had in your life and analyzing them and looking back on them and reviewing them. So for me, it's a really great meditative, meditative tool, which is why I enjoy doing it. But when I do do the talks, a lot of them, the mental health side of it actually just comes in with like, the failure side. So I talk a lot about like, you know, my redundancies, my quitting my job, um, but also the impact that had on me mentally, the impact my mental health got to before it pushed me to that, but also how my mental health has improved since being more sure of myself, taking those decisions, how we shouldn't fear failure. Like a lot of people's, a lot of mental health problems are caused by, you know, stress, by constant self-doubt, by going, you haven't like, like this like faux sense of what success is or what failure is. But actually failure is the thing that everyone should be working towards because it's only by failing that we learn how to be better people. If we just succeeded all the time, there'd be no lessons in that. It'd just be, success and i always say that you know failure is normality that society has taught us to see as a negative when actually failure is one of the best failure is one of the best things that can happen wow. in your life because it one defines you as a person it allows you to work through problems it allows you to become more sure of yourself to trust your gut to understand where you've come from where you're going and actually see how you're improving so I always laugh because all my, my friends come and see my talks and they always just like laugh and go, you should like, it's just, you should just be on like a Ted talk. Cause I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't tend to do talks <laughs> that have, I mean, there are, there are like, you know, there are actionable insights you can take away from them, but I like the sort of talks you go to and you leave the room going, I'm going to quit my job or like, I'm, I'm going like, to, you know, I'm going to manifest destiny and conquer the world. Right. And I think a lot of the talks I give are trying to one, be very, you know, very relatable. I, I I try and relate to other people's situations and I try and do talks that one help me with my own mental health, my own well-being, but also that help other people move away from toxic situations. Like I would love I I've had a few people who've got in touch, I think it's only like two or three, but they've got in touch with me like a few weeks after I've done a talk and they've gone, Oh, I, I quit my job based off what you were talking about. And that oh, and I found a new one now. And that's the kind of thing I'm trying to help people do. It's, wow. I'm not standing in front of people going, so here's a piece of work and here's what I did to make it a good piece of work. I'm going, sod the work. What are you happy with within what you're doing? And if you're not happy, let's get you to a place where you are going to be happy. And that might not be doing, that might not be becoming like a creative director of a massive company. That might actually be leaving your job to go and do something completely different. So you can actually find what you're meant you know what you're meant to do on this planet i refer to it as um finding your water because um this idea that i'll just tell the story really briefly but so I, I i read a comic recently and it's really it stayed with me but so i yeah. developed this kind of um talk around it but the premise is that when i was growing up i felt like a kind of a pigeon no it's right a penguin in a pigeon world and like, where everyone else is flying around above me i was kind of rooted on the ground and i i didn't have a purpose i, I wasn't able to kind of break free but when I found design, I was able to kind of make connections where other people didn't. And um, the whole world became a new playground for me. And the thing is that, well, the thing is that penguins can fly, wow. but they fly underwater best. And they fly better than any bird in the sky when they're underwater. And, you know, for singers, music is their water. And for some, and for inventors or entrepreneurs, it might be like inventing. And 
for um sometimes for like sometimes water is people's water in terms of like swimmers um so i'm always like encouraging and pushing people to find their water because if you can find your water and what you're meant to be on this earth to do it doesn't matter what other people think about it it doesn't matter how much money it brings you you'll be happy that's awesome well i'm, I'm hoping people are taking something from it well, <laughs> yeah. at one point i'm gonna end in a talk with like one person in it and it's like oh no one's talking about it so it's all um so I'd love to know out of everything you've done so far, like I ask each guest on the one of the eight podcast, who or what has inspired oh, you? It's such a hard question. So I, it, it's really strange because I've got different areas in my life. So for instance, on the one hand, I've got like the designer in me and that aspect, and I'm really inspired by books. Um, I, I read the, the couple of books I read recently was one was Do Fly by Gavin Strange, who's an amazing creative. He's a director at Aardman animations in bristol um and uh, like a passion project like entrepreneur and he really wrote a book with the do lectures called do fly and it's very much in keeping with the stuff i've spoken about and this idea like you know controlling your fate being your best self making a living and it's i'd recommend everyone anyone gets it um the other book i read recently was um by herman hesse called sid arthur um which is an it's an amazing book about a boy who it's about Buddhism, but he goes in search of Buddha and enlightenment. And um, it's about him and his friend. And they both go off partway through the book without giving any spoilers. They go, both go off in very different directions. One of them stays in like Buddhism. The other goes through and has like a very different full life, like an ordinary person. And it's just about this idea of how you find inner peace and how you don't have to necessarily sacrifice everything in order to find happiness. Um, so those are two books that are really great. Alongside that, I tend to try and get more inspired by the world around me. I love street signs. I love like signage. I love like, you know, just going out into the world and just seeing what's around you from a design aspect. I think too many people spend their life on computers currently. And I think there's just more to be said and more to be had from going out and speaking to people. And I love stories. I'm so always so inspired by different people's stories. Um, in terms of people, the person that's probably a constant source of inspiration for me is my girlfriend. Um, I can't really go into too much about her personal life because it's not my story to tell, but she has overcome some enormous things in her life and continues to overcome them. And I think while we, you know, we're still a couple, we still argue, we still have different, we still have uh, differences like that. Um, I think seeing the perseverance and the constant kind of drive and the constant not willing to kind of give in approach and being around that constantly is such an amazing thing um to always be witnessing um and kind of brings it home and you know i think it's it's, i think this is what i'd say to anyone is like it's always good to surround yourself with people who haven't had you know they have had to have challenges they have had to come through things they haven't had everything handed to them because it's it really grounds you as a person and it means you can pull from that and you can also talk to them and get advice and for me i'm like now the go-to guy people come to talk to if they've lost a job because i've i've lost well i've quit one but i've lost two of them and if there's one of your friends that's had a lot of money problems and yes. come that you can if you ever get in that situation you can go and talk to them so i'm inspired by most of all by people and what they have to have to say and the struggles that they've overcome. There are almost 8 billion people on our planet, and Ben Motter's head is one of the eight. 
you can find links to Ben's award-winning work and discover more about what has inspired him online at oneoftheape.com. Everyone has a story to share. Everyone has something to give. Everyone can inspire. One of the Eight is a movement of real-world people from across the globe, sharing real-life stories, inspiring others, enriching lives, and giving something back. I am, you are, everyone is one of the eight. Now streaming on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Join the movement at oneoftheeight.com.